Genesis chapter 8, last week, because it was Resurrection Sunday, I did not go through this like I normally would, and I simply took some imagery from this chapter along with chapter 7 about how God specializes in making new beginnings, and that's what we see here in chapter 8. What the Lord wants to do is give you a new life by destroying your old life of sin. God has made this all possible through Christ. He bore our sins while on the cross, and now His blood can wash away every sin. The Bible says you can be a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Have you experienced the new birth? Say, well, we're here, aren't we? We see people from Sundays get saved. Are you in Christ? Are you born again? Do you know that beyond a shadow of a doubt? It's only found in Christ. If you don't have it, we want you to receive Him today. The price for your sins has already been paid. It's been paid in full. There's nothing you can do to add to God's salvation. It's done. You just have to receive His free gift through faith. You do not have to be destroyed in chapter 7, but God can write a new chapter in your life in chapter 8 and give you a new beginning. Since last week I only kind of used that imagery as a launching point, I want to remind you of where we're at in this chapter as we kind of go back to our normal method here. Remember, for God to flood the earth, He did so by breaking up the fountains of the deep. He opened the windows of heaven and He caused the rains to fall 40 days and 40 nights without stop, I believe, at that point, although I believe it still continued to rain. I believe it was 40 continuous days uh, and nights of rain. And the water, the Bible says, went 15 cubits, that'd be roughly 22 and a half feet, above the highest point on earth. Everything was flooded. The waters prevailed on the earth for five months. And at some point during that time, as we come to chapter 8, God stopped the fountains of the deep, He closed the windows of heaven, and He restrained the rain, and then He brought a wind over the earth, the waters assuaged, and the waters began to go off of the earth continually. And in verse 4, after five months, the ark finally has come to rest upon the mountains of Ararat, and this is where we'll pick back up in our series. I'd like to read verses 4 through 16 of Genesis chapter 8. And the ark rested in the seventh month on the seventeenth day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the tenth month. In the tenth month on the first day of the month were the tops of the mountains seen. And it came to pass at the end of forty days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And he sent forth a raven which went forth to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Also he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot. She returned unto him into the ark, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her in unto him into the ark. And he stayed yet other seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came into him in the evening, and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. 
And he stayed yet other seven days and sent forth the dove, which returned not again unto him any more. And it came to pass in the six hundred six hundredth and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the seventh and twentieth day of the month, was the earth dried. And God spake unto Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife and thy sons, and thy sons' wives with thee. Amen. So after five months, the ark is now resting. I can imagine their excitement building, that they are finally going to get off of this ark after five long months of floating around. But they're not done living on the ark yet. In fact, they're not even halfway through yet. Before this is over, they'll end up spending more time in the ark with it resting on the ground than they will in the ark with it floating upon the waters. And even though the ark has come to rest, all they can see is water everywhere. It isn't until verse 5, after the waters decrease for another two and a half months, did they begin to see the tops of the mountains. If you include the seven days before the flood began when God had called them into the ark, they've now been on the ark for 230 days. 223 days without seeing land after God shut them in. And as a reminder, I'm using the Hebrew calendar for my calculations. I don't know what kind of calendar they used before the flood, but the Hebrew calendar is 30 days in a month, and that makes for easy math. As we come to verse 6, another 40 days have passed since the tops of the mountains were seen. So it's now been three months and 23 days since the ark rested. Add to that the five months of the waters prevailing, the seven days before the flood, they are now living on the ark for 270 days. Noah then began the process of ascertaining when the earth would be habitable again. He sends forth a raven once. He'll send a dove three times. And I know I said last week we were going to discuss the raven and the dove this week. But we're not. I got hung up on a different thought. We'll save it for another time. After the land was first seen, we see Noah waited 40 days before he did anything further. 40 days. That's amazing. I don't know about you, but I find this remarkable here in verse 6. That after all this time, the ark is resting. Two and a half months go by. They see the land. He waits another 40 days before he makes a move. And even then, he only opens the window. After 40 days in verse 6, 270 days total, Noah sends forth a raven. And because of the language, I'll probably say more about this next time, but because of the language found in verse 10, it is implied that Noah sent, uh, when he sent the dove out the second time, or excuse me, he had waited seven days after he sent out the raven when he sent out the first dove because of that language in verse 10. I'll try to explain all that next week. But then in verse 10, seven more days pass, he sends out the dove the second time. Seven more days pass in verse 12, he sends out a dove the third time. Then in verse 13, we're told it was in the 600th year, first day, first month, the waters were dried up from off the face of the earth, and now they are 320 days upon the ark. Man! 163 days since they came to rest. Then finally in verse 14, after another 56 or 57 days, and some of this depends on how you calculate 
when you begin a day and end a day and all that. I'm going with 57 because that fits my math. <laughs> when in doubt, fudge the numbers and it'll, it'll work. Amen. And, and so th this is 220 days after the ark has rested. It's been 300. I know I'm throwing a lot of numbers at you. I'm going somewhere with this. It, it's been 370 days since the flood began. Add the seven days beforehand, all said 377 days upon the ark. I could have saved you a lot of time just by saying you can do the quick math by taking Genesis 8.14 and subtracting Genesis 7.11 and you come up with 377. Amen. Now, the reason I've taken the time to show you all of this is I want to highlight this morning the extraordinary faith and patience of Noah that we see uh, as they are getting ready to come off of this ark. 377 days total, 200 and 27 days of the ark sitting there before they disembark. The tops of the mountains are seen. He waits 40 days. The Bible uses the term stayed, which means to wait in verses 10 and 12. He waits seven days, sends out a dove. Seven days, sends out a dove. Another seven days, sends out a dove. This is a patient man. Are you picking up on this? Uh, Isaiah 28, 16 says, He that believeth shall not make haste. He's taking his time here. Noah waited about seven and a half months after the ark came to rest. And, and some of you are probably thinking, hurry up already. I ain't got time to hear about patience. <laughs> now, we know God told Noah the day the flood would begin, but we don't see where God ever told Noah the day it would end. He didn't know the day they would leave the ark. I have a suspicion God gave them a general time frame because he did say prepare enough food for you and the animals over in chapter 6. But apparently nothing more specific was given. And so why would God give the details leading up to the flood but then conceal how all of this would unfold, how it would come to an end, and how they would know it was time to leave the ark? I believe one reason would be if Noah knew the end from the beginning, he would not need faith. If, if we knew the end from the, the beginning, there's no faith involved. There's no trust. And so God is going to exercise his faith by concealing this from him. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But also by concealing this information from Noah, it's going to be a test of Noah's Patience. Romans 8.25, but if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. You may recall from chapter 7 how the number 40 in our Bible is often a number of testing. Time of trial, a season of testing. And what a test it must have been to know that you have come to rest, to see land, and not get out of the ark. I mean, they could have gotten out and left the animals cooped up until the earth was ready for the animals. I mean, that's how my mind thinks, amen. Y'all can stay in there. I ain't, got, I ain't got no pets, amen. Y'all are all getting out of here anyway a little bit. Uh, I'm going to go out and sit on this mountaintop. That's kind of the way I think. And, and, and yet they don't do that. He stays in, and, and, they're, and he's being very patient. Try to place yourself in their position. I'd be ready to get out, Amen. Wouldn't you? 
I don't know that I would have waited another 147 days from the time I first saw land to try to find a way out of that thing. I'd probably at least kick the door open and put my lawn chair at the entry and <laughs> drink coffee during sunrises and tea at sunset. You know what I'm saying? I, I'd at least open the door. Oftentimes when we find ourselves in the midst of a trying storm, we end up doing all that we can to alleviate the situation, to get out of it as soon as possible. And our problem is we fail to patiently wait upon God. Who does not like, want, or desire immediate results? Amen, I'm down with that. Who doesn't like knowing why when you're going through a storm? But this type of mindset, it is problematic to the Christian life because most of the time we don't know the why until we've come through. And oftentimes these storms we go through, they take time to come to pass. I think of Abraham and Sarah. Remember God gave them a promise that they would have a son. It took 25 years from promise to come to pass. And I'm sure you're, you're aware they got impatient. And they got ahead of God. And a sermon for another time, but the earth is still dealing with the consequences of their decision. I think of Moses and how God told him he was going to use Moses to deliver the children of Israel. And Moses got ahead of God. He looked this way and he looked that way and he killed an Egyptian. He never looked upward. God's timing was another 40 years down the road by the time he would be the deliverer of Israel. The children of Israel got impatient when Moses did not come down from Mount Sinai in their timing. And they jumped right into idolatry as a result of becoming impatient and not waiting on God's time. There's a lot of examples in the Bible to draw from and Perhaps you know of examples in your own life you can draw from where you were not patient on God. You did not wait patiently. You got ahead of God and you got some things messed up as a result. I know for me it took six years from the time that I received the promise of Psalm 119.45 that I would be the pastor here until it came to pass. And it took 13 years altogether from the time that I sensed God was calling me here until we were back here. And I wish I could tell you that along the way I, I never lost faith and I never grew impatient. I never tried to get ahead of God and that I never fell behind God. But there were times when I wandered and I wavered away from God's promise to me. What was God doing? God was teaching me patience. He was teaching me to exercise faith in Him. And God's still teaching me both. Amen. Growing and maturing in the Christian life takes time. There are no shortcuts. People want shortcuts. Give me the seminar. Give me that cool book that you're using. Right? People want the easy way out. There are no shortcuts. I think of raising children. Don't act like y'all ain't raised children before. It typically takes nine months till they're born. And then it takes nearly two decades 
to bring them to the place where they can begin to stand on their own. And even then you have your doubts. Lord, I hope I did enough. <laughs> I never had doubts with you, Sydney. Don't worry. This is why patience is likened to a harvest. It's a process. It takes time. You can't plant a garden and then expect immediate results. Certain things with God take time. They take time from our point of view, but God is on time. James 5, James 5, 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it. In explaining the parable of the sower to his disciples, Jesus said of the seed which would fall upon good ground in Luke 8.15, but that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. It takes time. And, and let me just detour right here. For those of you dealing with new Christians, it takes time. They don't necessarily get saved and go right to fruit bearing. It takes time. Now, what we find transpiring in Noah's life is the same way that things will come to pass in our life. Noah was given everything he needed to know going into the storm, but he wasn't given all the details going through the storm. He didn't know how it was going to end. He was given the detailed plans of the ark, what he needed to do to prepare. He knew that there would be a flood. He knew there would be an end because God entered into a covenant with him in chapter 6 and verse 18. But Noah did not know the length of the storm. He didn't know the details that would take place during the storm. He didn't know beforehand how he would know it was time to disembark. And remember that the last time that God has spoken directly to Noah was in chapter 7 before the flood began. He told them in chapter 7 and verse 1, Enter in the, Come thou into the ark. The Bible doesn't say that God spoke to Noah when he shut him in, but I'd like to think he at least, you know, later gator or something and, and pushed the door. <laughs> but we have no record of God speaking directly to Noah again until after the flood in verse 15 of chapter 8. So assuming that God did speak to them before he shut them in, it was 370 days when God finally spoke directly to Noah again. And so it can be with us. As we go through storms in this life, we are not told what will take place as we go through the storm. Is this the one I'm on, Luke? Is this one of no value? Okay. In that case, I won't move around. Amen? We don't know what's going to take place through the storm. We don't know how it's going to come to an end. And we don't know what the outcome's going to be. We're told storms will come. Amen? The Bible makes that clear. We're, we're told how to prepare for the storm in the Bible. We're, we're assured of the ultimate ending if we're in Christ. No matter what happens in the storm, we're going through to the other side. Why? Because we have a covenant as well. God has brought us in under the new covenant. And we'll be brought through. We, we know that we'll be with our Lord in glory for all eternity. 
But listen to me. We are not told the details of what's going to happen along the way. The details of getting there and all that's going to befall us. Why does God operate this way? Because just like with Noah, God will bring the difficult storms into our life to try our faith and to prove our patience. God uses these things to show us who we are. Some people think they're super Christians until they get in the storm. Amen? And God uses those times to show us we're not who we thought we were. And God also uses those times to show us how great He is. James 1.3 Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Romans 5.3 But we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Without these trying times in our life that we don't really enjoy going through, we would never grow in our faith and we would never learn more patience. So God uses the storms. He uses the tribulations to try our faith in order that He may work or that He may fashion or bring about patience into our lives. And when you think about it, isn't patience really an aspect of faith? Because when we have patience and we learn to wait on God, then we are having faith that God will come through. Does this make sense? Conversely then, can't we say if we get impatient and we fail to wait on God that we're not exercising faith in God? Therefore, faith and patience really go hand in hand. They are critical to living the Christian life. In fact, faith and patience are mentioned together in several passages in the Bible. Here's a few. 2 Thessalonians 1.4 So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all of your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. Hebrews 6.12 That ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit promises. Revelation 13.10 Here is the patience and faith of the saints. We need faith and we need patience. And I, I, I'm hammering this because I've heard preachers say, and I've heard some say with all seriousness, don't pray for patience. You've heard that statement. Oh, you pray for patience, you'll go through a trial. And, and I hope most are saying that in jest. But I've heard it, you've probably heard it. In reality, not to pray for patience is to go against the work of the Holy Spirit. Because Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, which is the same as patience there. Not to mention, patience is a characteristic of God. Romans 15.5, God is even called the God of patience. He wants to conform us into His image. So don't be against developing patience in your life. In 1 Timothy 6.11, we're told to follow after patience. In other words, we're to pursue patience. In Hebrews 12.1, we are to run our race with patience. We need patience in order to become a mature believer. Consider what Peter wrote, 2 Peter 1, verses 5 through 7. He said, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, 
to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. All of us who are in Christ this morning, we are somewhere in that process that Peter lays out about adding to our faith. If you're born again, you have faith. But now God wants to add to your faith. He wants you to work at adding to faith. After faith should come virtue. Simply put, this is when we learn how to live right. This is, being, this is the courage to live morally right. So we get a new believer. What do we want to teach them right away? This is how you need to conduct yourself. You need some virtue. After you get virtue, you add knowledge. That is understanding and doctrine. Add to knowledge temperance. That's your self-control. Then, or as you know, I always think when, when I read temperance and self-control, Pastor Williams used to say, rule thyself well. Right? Temperance. And then we add to temperance patience. We finally got there. Amen. We add patience. This is when we learn to endure and we learn to wait upon the Lord. And from patience we gain godliness. And from that comes the natural outflow of the Christian life, which is brotherly kindness and charity. That is what the end result is. That is how it manifests itself correctly. You're somewhere in that process this morning. And we can see, in this, proce we can see this process that Peter wrote about in, in the account of Noah. We know from God's description of Noah, he had faith and virtue before the flood. God said he was, a, he was a man that walked with him and all these things. And God then gave him knowledge. He told him the flood was coming and why. And through the process of building the ark, Noah showed temperance. And now during the flood, we see here in this set of verses, Noah has patience. And as a believer, listen, you ought to desire patience. You should work at patience. What does it mean to work at it? You'll figure it out. You know the old count to ten thing? Man, I struggle with that one, amen. You should work at it. The Bible speaks of, of many benefits of having patience. Here's just a few. In Romans 5, 3, and 4, we, we, I've already read some of this. We glory in tribulations also knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And patience experience, meaning you've been proved, and experience hope. There's a lot of passages that tie patience and hope together. In Hebrews 10.36, patience will allow us to achieve the will of God for our life. And then we receive the promise of God. Hebrews 6.15, it says of Abraham, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. And in James 5.11, patience is connected to the blessings of God. And it goes on to talk about the patience of Job that Pastor DeGarmo is talking about in our adult Sunday school class. At the end of Isaiah 30, 18, it says, Blessed are all they that wait for Him. Lamentations 3.25, The Lord is good unto them that wait for Him, to the soul that seeketh after Him. Isaiah 40 and verse 31, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. 
Do you see the importance of patience? It's, it permeates the Bible. I don't even know where to exactly stop this message because there's so many verses that talk about patience. But I want to try to make some application here a little bit more and, and just ask you, are you going through a storm today? Life's tough, man. You don't have answers. You want to know what's going on. You don't know the end result. You don't know the why. But you know something's going on in your life. Listen, don't grow impatient. Amen? Listen, I know it's hot in here. I'm sweating. Y'all wake up. Don't grow impatient. Don't, don't worry that you don't have all the details and you don't have all the answers. But you trust in God's promise that He's going to see you through. And don't overlook the lesson of faith and patience. God is trying to teach you through it all. Don't just immediately jump to the, i got to get out of this situation. I want relief from it. I want out of it. No, God is trying to teach you some things. So don't get ahead of God. But trust His perfect timing. 377 days on the ark. And I would have kicked that thing open long before then. Patience. God, listen, all He wants to do is bring you closer to Him. Through His perfect timing. Maybe you're not necessarily in a storm this morning. But there's something you know you need to wait on God for. Maybe God's given you a promise that hasn't come to pass yet. Maybe you know the promises in the Bible and you're trying to claim that, but it doesn't seem like you're getting anywhere yet. You need to trust His perfect timing as well. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He hath made everything beautiful in His time. Don't lose faith in God. Don't lose faith in His promise to you and trust how God will work in your life. God uses the waiting period. Listen, that patient time. He uses that time to grow and to mature you into the Christian He wants you to be. And He wants to teach you how to wait on Him. We all need patience. Well, not all of us. Some of you are like out. But we, we all need patience. Amen? Listen, we need patience in dealing with our children. We need patience. We need patience in dealing with family members. We got a joke in our family, 72 hours, that's the max. You hit the 72-hour point and it's like, man, we're ready to go fist of cuffs up in here. Not our family, but extended family. I can hang out with Adrian all day, amen. Well, until she looks at me wrong. Patience. We need patience with our friends. Look, friends do dumb things. Right? It doesn't mean it's the end of the world. It doesn't mean they hate you. It doesn't mean you can't reconcile. Just people do dumb things. We need patience. We need patience with our coworkers. Oh boy, we touched a nerve on that one. We need patience. We need patience. Listen. In our church family. Because we all don't always do things the right way. We say dumb things to each other. Hurtful things sometimes. We, we need patience because what will happen is just as soon as you get impatient with a church member, you're out. Don't tell me that ain't true. I don't go to church because of... Why don't you just show some patience? 
God probably could have worked through that scenario. Maybe he was trying to teach you to have some faith and patience along the way. We need patience. Don't give up on God. Don't allow your impatience cause you to give up on others. Patience brings hope. Patience leads to godliness. And so in closing, I want to tell you, I could never over, ever overstate the importance of faith and patience in the life of believers. Hebrews 11.6 is very clear. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. James 1.4. Listen to how important. Listen to how important patience is. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. That, listen, those two verses ought to show you how important faith and patience is. How important is faith? You can't please God without it. Say, so how important is patience? If you learn patience, you'll become perfect. That means complete. You'll, you'll be complete in God. You'll be entire. You'll be completely sound in all the areas of your life. And you'll be wanting nothing or else. In other words, you won't lack anything in your walk with God. So we have to learn patience. We have to let patience have her perfect work. Remember, though, it takes the trying of your faith to get there. So don't despise the work of God in your life. Now, I personally think some of this has dovetailed with Pastor DeGarmo's Sunday School, and I know that tonight is going to continue to dovetail all of this together. We need to understand how God works, because when we don't is when we get impatient. Do you need to exercise your faith in God more this morning? Or perhaps you need to learn some more patience. Trust God. Let's pray.